What's up, guys? Welcome back to another brand new episode of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. We are in season two, episode 10. And like I say every week, thank you to everybody that supported last week's episode, whether you listened, shared the podcast on your social media. I appreciate all of the love and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as you did last week's episode. So I don't want to waste any more time. Let's jump right into this episode. So, of course, I have to start off episode 10 by talking about the Grammys. So, usually I'm not super excited about the Grammys, especially lately, because the Grammys go the same way they always go every year, essentially. So, it's kind of like, there's nothing new, it's the same old politics with the Grammys. So, I don't find myself looking forward to the Grammys or any award show. But this is the first time I watched the Grammy since starting this podcast. So I was actually excited to watch the show from a content creator standpoint and being able to watch the show with different eyes. This is also the first time that I've live tweeted the Grammys in the years. So of course that's always fun because you're scrolling through your timeline and you're seeing what everybody else has to say. And if they're reacting similar to you, it just makes whatever performance or messy moment that you're watching even funnier. I actually found that during the Grammys I had a lot to say. For once, I feel like the past couple of years I've watched the show and I'm like, there's nothing really super special to talk about. You know, because I hosted a a radio show for four years, so I would watch the Grammys and talk about it a little bit here and there on my radio show, but I found myself not being able to really say a whole lot because nothing super special has happened at the Grammys in a long time and nothing super special happened this year either. You know, there's no difference, you know, this year compared to previous years, but um, it was different watching it now that I have my own podcast and, you know, I wrote down little notes. The whole point of me live tweeting was so that I could go back and be like, oh yeah, this is what I thought during the baby's performance. This is what I thought during Dua Lipa's performance. So it was easy for me to, you know, write my notes for this week's episode based off of those tweets. So that was fun live tweeting the show again. Um, But back to the Grammys, Megan Thee Stallion, Beyonce, and her were some of the big winners of the night. Congratulations to Beyonce, especially because she is now the most awarded vocalist, both male and female at the Grammys. She now has 28 of them. And honestly, that Beyonce is truly a living legend. I just said this on um, the Poorly Unwritten podcast, the episode that I was on a couple of weeks ago that, you know, for my generation who grew up with Beyonce, who has been listening to her since Destiny's Child, you know, Beyonce is the only artist of her kind that we actually got to witness in real time that we grew up with, you know, the Michael Jacksons, the Princes, and all of them, the Whitney Houstons, they were before our time, they were our parents and our grandparents' generation, but Beyonce is that artist for me, and getting to watch her break these records and set these records and win these awards and become such a decorated artist is incredible. It's incredible to watch it actually happen so that when I'm in my 50s and 60s, you know, and I'm talking to the younger generation, whether it's my kids or my friends' kids or whatever, and just telling them, like, I remember when Beyonce did Coachella. I remember when she was the first black woman to do Coachella. I remember watching her win her 28th Grammy and and set these records. It's incredible. And I'm so happy for her because people could say what they want about being Beyonce, about Beyonce being overrated, but I think the talent and her discography 
and the work just speaks for itself and she is definitely deserving of having such a decorated um career and and being the first art i think out of any artist today she definitely deserves to be the most awarded for sure because she puts so much effort into her craft from the music the music videos everything she puts so much you know time and effort into things and when you see her live you just have a even um bigger appreciation for her and I definitely want I'm definitely in the mood for a well I'm always in the mood if I'm being honest but I'm after watching the Grammys I'm definitely in the mood for a new Beyonce album I could definitely use a new one I honestly didn't think Black Parade was gonna take home anything after they snubbed her in 2016 but I am glad that it did because it is a good song and it's got a great message Megan Thee Stallion won three out of the four Grammys that she was nominated for. I predicted she'd win most, if not all, of the awards that she was actually nominated for, so I'm not surprised by this at all. She's definitely had a incredible year in 2020, music-wise at least, so I think her winning was well-deserved. I don't think anybody outside of her haters can really argue against that. Her one song of the year for I Can't Breathe, an incredible and powerful record, so it definitely deserved to win, and I'm extremely happy for her, but it's just a damn shame that Grammys will only give black people big awards like this if we're talking about our, our trauma. You know, it, it, black people can never just create a just genuinely feel-good pop or R&B record and get nominated and win. It's always a message. It's always a song with a message like I can't breathe. It's always based off of black trauma and it's very frustrating. My dad and I were just talking about this, I want to say a few days ago where we don't get the big records like album of the year or record of the year. It's it's I don't think we ever I don't think a black person has ever won. We've been nominated but we've never won. So, her definitely deserved this because I can't breathe was just a song that we really needed last year but um it is frustrating that those are the types of songs and 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 albums that win it, it was no different than Anderson Pack winning I forgot what he, what category his was under but he ran but he won I think maybe it was melodic but he won for lockdown another incredible song that we really needed last year it was I constantly played it a great record definitely deserving to win deserving to be nominated but if Anderson Pack had a had nominated Jet Black, his song with Brandy from 2019, would that have even scored a nomination? So that's very frustrating. Um, but outside of that, like I said, her definitely deserved to win. And she's having an amazing run so far in her career. And she hasn't even put out an album yet. So this is just, I think, a little... I think this is just the beginning of a long and great career ahead of her. I have to admit that I was shocked that Harry Styles won over Dua Lipa and Doja for Best Pop Performance because even though Watermelon Sugar is a great record, it's a great pop record, it's so addicting, I love the record, don't get me wrong, but I do feel like that Say So and Don't Start Now were bigger pop records and they had more of an impact. Yeah, you heard Watermelon Sugar, you know, out when you were out and about, but Say So and Don't Start Now were almost inescapable. You go, you heard any song in the background on social media, media, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Say So was playing. You walk into any store, you listen to the radio, Don't Start Now was playing. So I definitely feel like that award should have went to either of them. But, you know, Watermelon Sugar is a good record, so it deserved to be nominated. Definitely. 
As far as snubs go, I definitely think that Doja and Chloe and Hallie were majorly snubbed. If anything else, Doja should have at least won one Grammy, and this is coming from someone who's not even a fan of her at all, but you know, I think the work speaks for itself, and the popularity speaks for itself. It was a number one record. People love that song. There were thousands upon thousands of challenges. Nicki Minaj jumped on the remix. So, you know, I feel like Say So was definitely one of the biggest records last year. And so the fact, her getting snubbed was, is just as bad as The Weeknd getting snubbed. I mean, at least Doja was actually nominated. So it's worse for The Weeknd in that sense. Um, but I definitely think that Say So should have taken home something because it was such a big record. And Chloe and Hallie, if they didn't win anything else, I definitely think they should have won for best, um, I think it's progressive, because I feel like Ungodly Hour sounds like nothing that's out. It sounded like nothing that was out last year. It's nothing else that's come out so far this year sounds anything like it. Chloe and Hallie have carved their own lane, and they're amazing what they do, their sound. They were ahead of their time with their debut album, The Kids Are All Right. You know, I feel like people are, including myself, because I love Chloe and Hallie, but I, I only liked about a couple of songs off of their debut album. But Ungodly Hour, I feel like they evolved even more, and I feel like my taste has evolved since they put out their debut because I really enjoy the music on Ungodly Hour and I feel like they were just ahead of the curve as far as production goes and even their melodies like their melodies are just crazy like so I feel like when you're talking about progressive Chloe and Hallie and I don't really listen to the other artists that were nominated in that category so I can't really speak for them um I've heard great things about Thundercat I've heard him on featured um I've heard him featured on songs from artists that I like, and I always planned on actually sitting down and giving him a listen. Um, but I really feel like Chloe and Hallie had one of the most progressive albums of 2020, and I think that if nothing else, that award definitely should have went to them. While watching this year's Grammys, I really, it really became evident to me how far Dua Lipa has come because she has come a long ass way since her debut and I feel like she's shaping up to be a great pop star. I think that future her album Future Nostalgia inspired even past pop artists before her like Katy Perry and Lady Gaga to kind of change the direction they were heading in because pop I always I've said this the past couple of episodes or I know I've I've talked about this on this podcast of saying that pop has lost its way and I feel like Dua Lipa is one of the few new pop acts that are actually giving something great to the genre they're doing something a little different they're creating music that's refreshing in an era where pop has become I don't know if oversaturated is the word but it's just become I don't know not high quality it's become synthetic, maybe I could say, like just cheap and 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 basic, and, and and a lot of pop artists lost their identity and were trying to find it in other genres, whether it was hip hop, R and B, or trap. But then you have an artist like Dua Lipa that's just content making really good pop music. You know, Future Nostalgia, you can hear the influences from the 80s, which, I'll, and, and I'll talk about this when I get to Nick Jonas's album later in the episode, but I find that a lot of artists that are doing pop music are trying to reinvent themselves and go back to older decades of pop and kind of put a modern spin to it, and it's working for them, and it worked on, 
it worked for Dua Lipa on Future Nostalgia, and there were a lot of producers and writers that after Don't Start Now came out and after her album came out say, man, I really wish that we wrote a record like that for so-and-so. We want, when we created this beat for this person, this artist, we were inspired by what Dua Lipa was doing on Future Nostalgia. So she's definitely come a long way since her debut, and I think that she's got a long and great career ahead of her. Even her performance um, at the Grammys, her, her, her stage presence, her, uh, her choreography, her dancing ability has improved. And someone pointed out, you know, Dua Lipa really took constructive criticism well and improved. And I feel like once artists, some artists need to let their ego go and kind of allow, not allow, but kind of listen to what people are saying because it's called constructive criticism for a reason that people are trying to help you become better. And when artists like Dua Lipa listen to that, it helps them in the long run and it's definitely helped her. Billie Eilish ended up winning record of the year, but I definitely think it should have went to either Meg, Doja, or Dua. But congratulations to Billie because she is talented. I know a lot of people picked apart her acceptance speech because much like Adele did in 2016, Billie kind of spent most of her acceptance speech pointing out the fact that she felt like Megan should have won, and a lot of people took issue with white artists kind of winning awards over black artists that were nominated against them and then spending their whole speech complimenting and praising that artist and saying they should have won while walking home with the award. Now, obviously, Billy can't control that she won. That's who the Grammys voted for, you know, her label, whatever you want to think. There, there are a lot of things that come into play in choosing who wins an award. But Billy won the award, and I think watching her um, acceptance speech, I could tell she was genuine. She did the same thing last year when she beat out Ariana Grande in most of the categories and saying she didn't deserve the award and she felt like Ariana Grande had a, a bigger and better year, a better album. So I do think that Billy was genuine, but I do see the other side of it of, okay, you know, I'm sure Megan wasn't in her feelings about losing Megan won three Grammys that night, but it's kind of like a slap in the face of, okay, I lost out to an artist that I feel like I probably deserved it over, but now they're spending their whole speech pointing out the fact that, you know, I lost and, and I should have won. So I see both sides of things, but I do think Billy was being genuine. And I think that even she knew deep down that the award really should have went to someone else in that category because Savage, the Savage remix was a big record. Like I mentioned with Say So and Don't Start Now, those were big records. And I think Everything I Wanted was the song that won. And to me, that song came and went. Even Billy fans, some of them were like, eh, the song is okay, but she's put out better stuff. So I definitely don't think the award should have went to Billy, but she is talented. She's a great writer. Her brother's a great writer. So at least the award went to someone who was talented. She didn't have the better song, but there's that. Of course, album of the year went to Taylor because you know they love to give Taylor Swift everything, but I really wanted Janae to win album of the year, and I knew it was slim, but Ch Chilumbo was such a great album. It was so healing. It was so impactful for me. It was music for your soul, and it's frustrating when albums like that with real meaning and soul and deep content that are impactful to people don't win these awards but I am happy that Janae was at least nominated and whenever she's ready to drop another album 
that hopefully she can finally take home a Grammy. But despite how I feel about Taylor Swift aside, Folklore was a good album. I don't think it was album of the year, but it definitely deserved to be nominated in some of the categories. Taylor Swift actually, I think she only walked home with one Grammy award, which was kind of shocking because usually they do love to give her everything. And obviously she wasn't going to walk away with nothing. She did perform. She's Taylor Swift. Um, but you would have thought because typically they they love to hand her every award. And on my original predictions that I gave on the poorly written podcast, I had thought that they were just going to give Taylor Swift every award that she was nominated for because that's typically what they do. But then when I was really looking over the nominations again before last week's episode, I'm like, well, you know what? Taylor Swift is actually against some real competition this year. Some competition that's just undeniable. You have Dua, you had Doja, um, you had Harry Styles. So there were a couple of pretty solid pop albums that came out last year. And Folklore, even though Taylor Swift is a pop star, Folklore was not a pop album. It was more Indian alternative. So to, to stick it in the pop categories really was unfair to the artists that actually put out pop albums last year. And that was probably the main reason why she lost a lot of her categories because um, Folklore was not in the it was not nominated in the right genre but she's taylor swift she still walked away with one she seemed happy that she won album of the year that's a big um grammy to win moving on from taylor though nas finally won his first grammy for king's disease which i predicted and um i'm not a huge nas fan like my dad is but when you see artists that put out quality work who have kind of been stiffed when it comes to the Grammys over and over again, they're putting out great work, they're nominated, they don't win. When you see that over and over again, finally to see them win and, and take home a Grammy despite how you feel about the Grammys was awesome to see. And um, I think King's Disease was a good album for Nas to be nominated by. I know he's not where he was in the 90s, but it's not like he's washed like that. And King's Disease was a quality album and you know he had a great producer executive producing this body of work and I think it showed because even fans outside of Nas like I'm not a huge Nas fan like that but I still return to some songs off of King's Disease the songs are just really good so I think that the album and the work speaks for itself so it was great to see Nas finally win I know my dad jokes and says that this will probably be the only Grammy he wins but I think you should never say never because I'm pretty sure there are Nas fans including him that never thought that Nas would take home a Grammy and he finally did in 2021 so that was incredible to see he didn't really say much the night of the Grammys but since then I I've seen him post pictures and videos of Hip Boy of them celebrating. So I won't be surprised if he drops something else next year. Um, I know he's been in the studio with a few different people. He's still actively recording because um, a few weeks ago, I think it was, maybe even last month, one of the producers that was working with them tagged both Big Sean, Hip Boy, and Nas in the like studio parking lot. I'm pretty sure it was Hip Boy Studio and said that they were cooking up and Big Sean himself said that they had another song in the works. Who knows where that'll end up. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up on Big Sean's new album because he's actively recording and he hasn't been shy about the fact that he's actively recording. So I'm pretty sure we'll hear more from Nas soon, especially off of the height off of not the height, the hype of this this Grammys win. I'm pretty sure when artists win Grammys, it inspires them to get in the studio. So I won't be surprised. 
I will say, though the Grammys weren't that much different this year, and let's be honest, they probably never will be, I can give them this. They were a lot more well-balanced this year, and there were no complete crazy sweeps. Kind of like Billie last year where she won, I think, six Grammys. Like, she swept completely last year. But this year, I think the most awarded artists of the night of that night were Megan Beyonce, but even they didn't do a complete sweep. I feel like, especially in the pop category, they pretty much gave everybody an award that night, except for Doja. But you know, the Grammys don't always get things 100% right, and that'll always be the case, and not even just for the Grammys, but just award shows, period. I did want to talk about the predictions I got right, because you know I gotta brag a little bit, flex a little bit that I got some of these predictions right, but the Grammys are so predictable, it's not even really a flex. But these are some of the predictions I got right. I called Taylor Swift winning album of the year, Megan winning best new artist, though I also predicted a tie between her and Doja because they both had incredible years last year, but I'm not surprised Megan won. Beyonce winning for best R&B performance, I called John Legend winning best R&B album, mainly not mainly because he was the biggest artist in the category, and you know how that goes, but John Legend did deserve that. That was a really, really good album, and I actually should return back to it because I really did like it. I predicted best rap album going to Nas, Dan and Shay and Justin Bieber winning best country duo performance, the 10,000 Hours was a big record, and I think they were, that was the most known song on that category. And I predicted best rap performance going to Megan Beyonce because, again, Savage was just un- inescapable last year. Um, if you were paying, even if you weren't paying at- attention to music like that, even if you don't listen to music like that, Savage Remix was everywhere you looked. So before I finish the Grammy segment of the episode, I had to talk about some of the performances. Silk Sonic, Cardi B, Meg, and Dua Lipa definitely had the best performances of the night. Cardi did look a little stiff on the stage. I don't know if it was because of her outfit. No, I I can't even say I don't know if it was because of her outfit. I just recently read that the outfit she wore on stage was really heavy. I don't remember how heavy it was. They said it, but I don't remember now. But it was a really heavy outfit. I don't know why the fuck she chose to wear that to the Grammys, especially if she was going to be performing heavy choreo like she was. That was a mistake because she definitely looked really like robotic up there. I've definitely seen her dance better than that, but still, she had one of the best performances of the night. You know Silk Sonic sounded incredible, and Anderson Pack sounded even better live than on the recording. A friend of mine from college was a, is a huge, huge, you know, Anderson Pack fan, and he got me into him a little bit. I always knew who Anderson was, but I never took the time to sit down and listen to his music, but my friend was a huge, huge fan, and he said he's really good. And so I had heard Anderson Pack on a few features, thought he was really dope, and decided to listen to some songs here and there. I didn't realize how well he can actually sing live, but he sounded incredible. And if you're doing a group, if you're going to join a group with Bruno Mars, you got to bring your A-game because Bruno Mars is amazing, especially live. Dua Lipa, Cardi, and Megan gave us a whole production with their performances, which I loved, and that's probably why I felt their performances were the best of the night. Dua did what a lot of these newer pop acts haven't been doing, which was put on a great show. The Baby and Bad Bunny definitely had the worst performances of the night. The Baby's performance was just a whole ass mess. It was cluttered and all over the place. Bad Bunny's was just bland and lackluster. I didn't particularly care for the Grammy setup this year. 
I felt like the stage was too cramped and everybody was too close together and overall the Grammy setup just looked low budget and the performances were extremely rushed usually typical and I know we're in a pandemic so I'm trying not to be an asshole but usually with the Grammys you know outside of the pandemic in previous years you would have the first performance of the night you would have that person open up the show which this year was Harry Styles and then after the first performance of the night you usually get into a couple of the awards and it seemed like this year even more so they only really announced maybe 10 and that's a rough estimate of the awards during the Grammys most of the Grammys were given away during the pre-show which I don't like I never did and it seemed like they did more of that this year to focus on the performances and so that was probably why I paid more attention to how cluttered and rushed the actual performances were this year because you know they had Harry Styles perform and then it was like they went in around in a circle like each artist had their own part of the stage and Trevor Noah I think that's his name he was the host he would be like okay now Billy's gonna perform now Haim the the band Haim is gonna perform and now Bad Bunny's gonna perform it's like they went around in a circle and it kind of just seemed like they were trying to get the performances all done at once and then they would do a whole slew of the awards and to me it just seemed really rushed and I didn't care for it Hopefully this time next year when they do the Grammys for 2022, we are back to normal and we can actually have um, things go back to the way they were because I know they're trying their best, but these award shows are not built to be had during a pandemic. They're just not. All in all, not much has changed with the Grammys. We're going to see the same old bullshit time and time again until artists really get serious about holding the Grammys accountable and they stop submitting their work to the Grammys to kind of force them to change we're going to keep seeing the same old thing but I will say that despite my criticism of the Grammys there were a couple of performances that were worth watching and it's always good to see my favorite artists win an award especially when they put out quality work that's deserving of it so those were my thoughts on the Grammys make sure you guys let me know in the comments on my social media when I upload this episode what you guys thought of the Grammys because I am curious Moving on from the Grammys, but not completely away from the award show segment, the Oscar nominations were announced this week, and some of the nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah for Best Original Screenplay, Cinematography, and Best Picture, Lakeith Stanfield, and Daniel Kaluuya, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, They were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was nominated for Best Costume, Best Production Design, Best Makeup and Hair, I still have to watch that movie, but I have a lot of things I have to watch. I'm slowly getting there. Uh, Tenet was nominated for Best uh, VFX. I'm surprised that was the only thing it was nominated for. I feel like that movie was kind of snubbed. I don't know if it was if it mainly had to do with the pandemic because Christopher Nolan usually always gets many nominations when he releases movies. Maybe it has the fact to do that he had a black lead. You know, race is always a factor. I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, But Tenet was definitely a good movie, so it definitely should have scored more. But this was the only thing I saw it nominated for. I I hope I'm wrong and I didn't see a full list, but I kind of think that was it. Soul was nominated for Best Animation. Chadwick Boseman also scored uh, for Best Actor, which is his first nomination. I do hope he wins, but again, it's bittersweet because he won't be here to accept the award. 
Viola Davis and Andre Day were nominated for Best Actress, and Viola made history for being the first black woman to be nominated for Best Actress. I think that was what it was, and I think she's been nominated for that twice. As usual, I'm rooting for everybody black. You know how it goes. And I do hope that everybody I just mentioned who were nominated score some Oscars because I'm sure it's well-deserved. Viola Davis is an incredible actress. Chadwick Boseman is incredible. So I'm pretty sure Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a good movie. I just really have to get around to watching it, but I will, and I will be letting you guys know what I think. I definitely have to watch um, Andre Day's project. I believe it's called Billie Holiday versus the people or versus the United States. I think that's what it is. Um, and I've heard good things. I've heard mixed things. I've heard great things about her performance, but I haven't heard the best things about the script, but it is on Hulu. So I'm definitely going to check it out and let you guys know what I think about that. Hopefully I can, I don't know when the Oscars are this year. Um, but hopefully I can watch the, both of those, uh, projects before I maybe watch the Oscars. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. I usually don't. Um, but I may watch it because, you know, I do my podcast now, so I, I, I got to talk about these award shows, so I may sit down and watch it. But my hope is to watch these movies and these TV shows before the Oscars so I can have my own opinion on who deserved to win. Moving on from the awards segment, Nick Jonas released his new album, Spaceman, last Friday, and guys, I'm obsessed. It's like it's 2007 or 2008 again, and I'm in my room listening to the Jonas Brothers on full volume, playing my little air guitar, singing my heart out to the songs. I'm obsessed with the Spaceman album, and I haven't seen a whole lot of people talk about it. I haven't really read any um, reviews because I try not to read reviews until after I form my own opinions and, and record my episode for the week. And then I go and I listen to what everybody else is saying. But usually I'll go on Twitter and I'll look at the reactions from fans and stuff like that. And I wasn't seeing a whole lot. I saw, you know, reactions from fans. Obviously they were listening, but just music critics on Twitter and, you know, some of the blogs and media people I follow on social media haven't really talked about this album yet. Maybe they haven't gotten um, around to listening to it or writing a review, a review, but this album was definitely really good. And I feel like more people should be talking about it. Spaceman is a really good pop album. Like I just said earlier, pop has been so hit or miss lately with very few artists creating something good for the genre. And Spaceman is one of those few that's actually good. Nick is also the only favorite artist of mine so far to put out an album that met my expectations. I'm hoping that by this time next week when I drop, when Justin Bieber drops his new album and I get behind this mic, I can say great things about that. But I'm hearing good things from people who have heard the album so far. So I hope that it meets my expectations, but not to get too far away from Nick Jonas, but he definitely did his damn thing on Spaceman, and it's not like I had these crazy expectations for this album. I try not to have super high expectations for albums in case I'm let down. I think it's normal to have a little bit of expectations, but I just wanted a good album from him. I tried my best to not go into this album comparing it to last year was complicated, and I think it was easy for me to do that because it had been so long since he dropped last year was complicated, then he dropped the Jonas Brothers album, so it was 
easy. It, it's not like the last time I heard something from Nick Jonas was last year was complicated. Technically, the last time we heard from him was on the Jonas Brothers album, which was amazing. So I think it was easy for me to go into this album with no super high expectations because I knew he was still capable of putting out good music, even though the music that he does with his brothers is different than his own solo work, which I think is great. There's not a single bad song on this album, honest to God. It's incredible from top to bottom. Nick has never had a problem being vulnerable or being really self-aware in his music, but on Spaceman, he takes it to a different level. And it also helps that it's about his time dealing with different emotions during quarantine or trying to maintain a healthy and happy marriage during quarantine, which a lot of people can relate to, especially with the divorce rate being so high since quarantine has started. And I think that he just hit the the nail right on the head with how a lot of people have felt. I think if no other time in your life, especially during quarantine, I think it's forced people to really find themselves and really look deep within themselves to see what's wrong. And and during quarantine, you had the most time to spend with yourself because you couldn't really spend it with other people. You had to be isolated. And so I know I spent a lot of time self-reflecting and thinking about how I could better my life and become a better person and fix you know, my own issues that I have going on. And that's no different than Nick Jonas. Even though he's a celebrity, he still has his own issues to deal with. And like I've mentioned time and time again, that's why I think a lot of albums from last year and this year as well are going to be so good because artists have been forced to um, spend time with themselves and they were able to kind of create the music that they wanted without pressures from the label to put out something more mainstream or more on trend of what's been going on. So Spaceman is no different. Not only are the stories told on this album really consistent, the production is extremely cohesive. Each song on the album transitions amazingly with the next and it helps that after the end of each song on the album, the beat of the next one begins to play. So you really can't listen to this album on shuffle. For me, I don't really listen to albums on shuffle until I've really sat with the album for a long time and I know the songs like the back of my my hand. Then I feel comfortable shuffling them. I'm not one of those demons that likes to shuffle an album the very first time they hear it. I think it's important to listen to albums in the way that they're track listed because the artist did that on purpose. There's a reason for that. And with this album, you can't really listen to it on shuffle. It sounds very odd. I haven't listened to it on shuffle, but I have listened to certain songs by themselves. And on Spotify, songs save in the order in which you save them first. So when I was saving songs off of the album, it's actually opposite of the track listing. So when, I, when I'm just listening to the songs that I save by themselves, they're out of order and it sounds so odd. So I don't think I could really ever listen to this album on shuffle. It just clashes too much. Although sometimes doing this on an album tends to make certain songs sound similar to other similar to others, and, and that was the case here where certain songs sounded similar in production to the others, but um, the album doesn't become monotone or repetitive because the similarities in the songs are just slight enough that it's not bothersome, and really you only hear it towards the end and beginning of the songs. Um, it's obvious enough to be noticeable, but it's very slight, so it's not bothersome. And I think that After Hours does this well too, where it has a really strong sonic theme. So songs sound similar and that's fine because especially when you have a clear message that you're going with and you have a clear story in mind that you want to tell. And sometimes when you're creating these stories, you're creating these lyrics, 
you have a specific song in mind. You have a specific sound, sorry. You have a specific sound in mind that just won't leave you alone and you feel like it should encase the whole album. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. On Spaceman, Nick Jonas did it well. On After Hours, The Weeknd did it well. It's just all about how you go about it. Songs can sound similar as long as they don't sound the exact same where you feel like you're listening to the same song five times over. That's definitely not the case with Spaceman. Picking a top five off of this album is going to be hard, but at this moment, it's Too Drunk, Sexual, Death Do Us Part, Deeper Love, and Don't Give Up On Us. This Is Heaven is technically in my top five, but I've already reviewed this song and before on past episodes, so I decided to go with Don't Give Up On Us because it is my sixth favorite in my list. And I can tell you that as I continue to listen to this album, This Is Heaven may even leave my top five because so many other songs are, are just as good. So we'll see. Maybe I'll do an update in six months and tell you what my top five is then. But I want to start off with Don't Give Up On Us. What stands out to me the most is the stuttering heartbeat that's intertwined in the production and the melody. It's just one of those really good pop songs that not only makes you want to sing, but also makes you want to dance and feel good. The heartbeat, like drums in the production, add to the heartwarming lyrics on the track. My favorite lines in this song is, quote, I keep thinking, oh, I should be there. So close. All these feelings don't have no meaning without you. And when you listen to the song in the context of what's going on in the world, I can only imagine how hard it is to be newly married, because I think Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra got married in 2019 even though 2019 feels like four years ago at this point. They're, they haven't, they're newlyweds still. They haven't been married that long. So to be in your second year of marriage only, you're still trying to figure things out. You're still trying to learn how to be a married couple and coexist and live in the same space. Then you're hit with the pandemic and you're in one place filming a movie. She's in another place filming her movie and you're not together. I can imagine how hard it is. And I think that's why these lines stick out to me because you can really hear kind of how lonely he is on a lot of this album. My next favorite off of this album is Too Drunk and it was an instant favorite of mine. It's probably at number one for me and it probably is going to stay there. I'm addicted to it. It's a feel good bop that makes you want to dance, but the lyrics are one of the best parts of the song. This album was about his different emotions and experiences during quarantine, like I said, and that's what makes this album and song so good. It's extremely relatable. This song is about missing human contact and being forced into isolation, so you're forced to drink and party by yourself rather than with your friends or your significant other. And I also love the contrast of having a high-energy beat with a good groove with sad lyrics. You know, when you really listen to the song, you realize how sad it is. My favorite lines are, quote, now I'm dancing in the kitchen, breaking all the dishes, breaking all the rules that I set myself, and also, oh, you never know when to stop, like every day's Friday night, too drunk and I'm all in my feelings, oh well, now I'm high as the ceiling, and oh, I think I just hit my stride till I wake up and hate my life. And that's what I mean about how you listen to the song and if you're not really paying attention to the lyrics, you're just singing and dancing. But when you really sit down and you hear what he's saying, he's saying, you know, I'm feeling good because I'm drunk right now. And then I wake up, I'm sober. And suddenly I realize how much life sucks in this quarantine. And I hate my life. I'm depressed. And I think a lot of us could feel that. I think a lot of us can relate to that because there were a lot of times where I'm like, oh my God, I'm having a good moment in quarantine for once. I'm having a a great day. And then you wake up to the same thing. You wake up to doing nothing constantly, all the time, every day. You're stuck with your thoughts. You're stuck in the house. You have no human contact. And humans are 
are built to socialize and it can become very depressing and very old very fast and I think that's why this song really sticks out to me because he hit the nail on the head with a lot of things that I felt during this quarantine. The next song I wanted to talk about another one of my favorites is called Deeper Love. You can tell this song is highly inspired by the 80s from the synths to the claps and the drums. It sounds like something straight out of that decade but more modernized. Nick's vocals sound ethereal and angelic. I just love how cinematic this song sounds and how dramatic and big it gets in the chorus and Nick's got the perfect voice to complement all of this. He was always my favorite member of the Jonas Brothers alone for his voice because to me he was the better singer and he pulls off many genres well. Pop, R&B, soul, he's just got a great voice and to me one of the best male singers of my generation. He just hits notes that not a lot of the other men um, can do. And I definitely don't think his vocals are appreciated enough. But Deeper Love is definitely a perfect summer wedding song. So if a lot of if, if anybody listening to this episode plans on getting married soon, definitely check out Deeper Love. I think it's a perfect choice. My favorite lines are, quote, wherever you go, I'll go because we're in it together forever always hold on because it only gets better just because I thought the lines were super sweet simple as that and he also I just like the way he sounds when he sings those lines too sometimes lines stick out to me because I like the way they're they're sung the next one is called sexual first off this song is so sensual and smooth so it's appropriately titled I love it Nick said that this song is the connective tissue to his last solo album which was more R&B and soul inspired like this track is And he's definitely right because this song definitely fits the sonic theme on Last Year Was Complicated. And that album is one of my favorite Nick albums. I still return to it constantly. And I'm going to be honest, I was expecting him to make another R&B album and stay in that genre because he did it so well and Last Year Was Complicated was a mainstream success for him. But he proved that he pulls off pop exceptionally, exceptionally well. And I think for me, I often try to force my favorite pop artist to go R&B because you know they have R&B tracks and they sound really good or I know that they really love the genre like Ariana Grande but for Ariana Grande I think she's surpassed her time in pop and R&B is definitely where she should be headed but I think I I tend to do that because I do it with Justin Bieber I want Normani to do R&B music even though she seems to want to do pop who knows with her right now because she's released several songs in different areas but R&B is just my favorite genre too so I think I'm biased in that way where I want all of my favorite artists to just do that genre but I also I'm starting to be like you know what let's allow let me allow these artists to grow and try new things because they could pull off a genre that I never even thought of them to do and they can pull it off well and Nick Jonas just proved that he does pop exceptionally well and this shouldn't be really a shock it's not really a shock to me because the Jonas Brothers were pop they were kind of the pop punk I don't know if pop, no not pop punk they were like pop rock I think that's the the appropriate genre for them not really punk but pop rock so it's not like he doesn't have history in the genre but he does do it exceptionally well on this album still it was nice to hear him put an R&B tinged track on here It gives you enough R&B to feel satisfied if you really loved his last album, but not too much that it sounds like an outlier. Nick's falsetto in the chorus really makes the song and it elevates it further to me, and the background vocalists on this song are fire. 
The song just sounds heavenly, and I know that's bad to say because the song is about sex, but it does really sound good. I know um, some of the background vocalists are caught on video because um, Nick Jonas had posted like um, a clip of him in the studio while making this album, which I feel like more artists should do. I love going behind the scenes and seeing how songs were put together and how albums were made, and these vocalists were exceptional, and I don't know if they have their own music, their own solo music, but I definitely am down to listen because they're heard throughout this album, and they really help elevate his vocals even further. I just love everything about this song, period, and that's all I have to say. My favorite lines are, quote, all the mirrors, all the mirrors in the room, it's all eyes on you, yeah, you know they love the view, and also the chorus, quote, you put the sex in sexual, I love to watch you baby, I love to watch you glow, and I just love the chorus because, um, I, I don't really have a reason, I just, I just like the quote, like him saying you put the sex in sexual, like, you know, that, to me, what I got out of that line was, yeah, sex is cool, but this sex that we're having is great because it's you. You know, I I imagine that having sex with a spouse that you are truly in love with is different. That's why they call it making love. And I think that's what he's trying to get across in this song just by saying that, you know, this sex that we're having is great because I'm having it with you. I'm having it with my best friend, someone I love. And this song, even though it's sensual, it's not like um, raunchy. It's just, it's clearly made from a man who's in love with his wife, clearly. And I really do love the song. I think it's a, one of the standouts on the album. The last song I wanted to talk about was Death Do Us Part. This song is just really beautiful. From the lyrics and message to Nick's vocals to the light production, it's just a beautiful song. I hate that it's so short because it's really one of my favorites and I feel like just as I was, just as I'm about to really get into the song, it cuts off, which he said in an interview with Apple, I think it was, that the song was intentionally short because he feels like the theme in the song is about um, being with someone forever until you die and so he felt like the song could just go on and on forever so he wanted the listener to feel like the song would have went on forever unless they cut it and um but even though I get what he's trying to say and get across the song still should have been longer because it's so good it definitely probably would be higher on my list if it was longer but at least we get two minutes at least it's not one minute that'd be even worse you can tell that he's just genuinely in love throughout this album, especially on songs like this. Um, this is another song that also fits Last Year Was Complicated sonically. My favorite lines on this is, quote, You can put me in a coffin. I'm always gonna find your love. You know there ain't no stopping, even when I'm high above. Spread my ash in the sea. Yeah, I know you're gonna find me and go right back to the start. There's no death, do us part. And also, quote, And now you're saving my life from a friend to a lover to my wife. And honestly, marriage is a good look on Nick Jonas. I think that there was discourse and it was mostly about Justin Bieber where, oh, sometimes when artists fall in love, the music just falls off. And I think for Nick Jonas, he proved that he can write really good music while he's going through it and, and going through heartbreak and, and breakups, but he can also really write good music while he's in love and as a married man, because sometimes when artists get married, obviously the content and the music changes you know, the younger fans feel like they can't relate to you anymore, but I feel like Nick Jonas was able to still put out quality music as a married man in love, so he definitely um, can kind of, he can be an example to kind of um, disprove that discourse. 
if that makes sense. All in all, this, like I said, is an incredible album from top to bottom. I don't have a single complaint. Greg Kirsten, who was the producer, he produced all of the songs on this album. He really helped Nick Jonas craft a beautiful story sonically. They have incredible chemistry. I don't know if they've worked together in the past. They, they could have. Nick Jonas has been in the music industry for a long time, so they could have. But he didn't produce a single song off of Last Year Was Complicated. I think this is definitely the first time they've worked together for a full album. And I wouldn't mind hearing them work together on another because they really created something really good. Even the deluxe was good. Um, that The deluxe dropped the night of the Grammy, Sunday. And so... It only features five new songs, and only two of the songs are really new because the other songs are more of a, an acoustic slowdown version of songs on the original album. But the deluxe included a song called Dangerous, I think, and a song called Selfish that features the Jonas Brothers. I'm assuming, um, and I think, no, I, I can't even say assuming anymore because they talked about how the song was created on Instagram Live and like I assumed, this song was written and recorded during the batch of music they created for that album that was supposed to come out last year, which I, I can't say is, is scrapped because they said that they have over 100 songs that they still plan on releasing. So I can't say that that album is scrapped. I'm sure it's going to be tweaked and, and be a different version than what was supposed to come out last year. But the moment that he said, oh, I have the Jonas Brothers featured on the track, I knew that it was most likely from one of those sessions and I was right. I think it also ended up making it onto the album to kind of prove to fans like, no, we're still a group. Nick is just doing a solo album right now. And like I said last week, I, I don't understand why fans were all like, throwing a tantrum over the fact that Nick was putting out a solo album because time and time again they said that they would still be doing their own solo work but they'd also still be a group because if you remember the first time they broke up well I can't say the first time because that implies they broke up more than once but when they broke up years ago part of the reason was creative differences so if you get back together but you still maintain your own solo work that helps you do the music you still truly want to make as your own person but then you can come back together as a group and create something different so it is important for them to have their own solo stuff and the Jonas Brothers will probably put out an album next year when things open back up again but congratulations Nick Jonas you put out a great album moving on from Nick Jonas Giveon released a repackage of his first two EPs which included a brand new song called All To Me and of course it's beautiful the production is as melancholy as it usually is when it comes to Giveon. And he manages to still be refreshing, even though that's kind of like the common sound from him. It hasn't really gotten old, at least not to me, and I don't think it's gotten old to anybody else. The writing on this song is great too, and I think that's why his music is always so damn good, even though his main lane is always talking about heartbreak. You would think, oh my God, We've had two EPs of him talking about how heartbroken he is. This girl broke his heart. He wants to get back together. It's breakup music, but he's such a good writer that he finds a way to draw you in time and time again because you relate or you just, certain songs are just, you don't even have to be sad to enjoy sad music. Sad music just hits every time. You just really feel it because you really feel the emotion. And I think Giveon is really good at expressing his and, and his music just hasn't gotten old to me. I know he's a new artist, so... Of course, he should. He really shouldn't be getting old yet, but I don't think he ever will because he's a great writer. He finds new ways to write about similar stuff. My favorite lines on this are, quote, Oh, he still don't make you feel beautiful. I know, but I do. Just know I got you. 
there's not really much else to say about the song other than it's good. Like, I, I, I'm, I don't plan on doing a, a whole deep dive. I'm more excited on hearing his debut album that he's been working on since at least late last year. He's, I'm assuming that he's at least halfway done with it because at the beginning of this year, I believe, he had posted a whiteboard of him with, with 12 tracks on it. He didn't have titles for them yet. He just had one through 12 numbered on the whiteboard. And so I'd assume if they're at the stage where they know how many songs they want the album to be, it's almost done. So he'll probably release maybe later this year because he's already kind of released music in late 2020. So I, I can't imagine he'd be dropping in the summer either. Um, but I can't wait for that album to come out because I know it's going to be incredible. Moving on from Give Yon, Big Sean announced last week that his Detroit mixtape will finally hit streaming services next month. I know he's been trying to work on getting it on streaming services for a while now. I'm pretty sure Janae Ayuko releasing her Sailing Souls mixtape on streaming services gave him that extra push to finally get in Def Jam's ear and say, you know, fans really want Detroit. So, it, you know, it makes sense, especially because now we have Detroit too. And a lot of artists are slowly putting their mixtapes on streaming services. The weekend just announced today that he was going to be putting um, one of his mixtapes. I think it's House of Balloons. I think that's the one. He's finally putting that one in its original form on streaming services. Obviously, you can hear the trilogy, all of the, the three mixtapes all together combined. But now we'll be able to listen to them as standalone. So I think I don't I think for the 10 year anniversary, he said. So I don't know if that's this Friday or next Friday, but it's coming out soon. I also hope that Big Sean considers putting some of his Lucy's on streaming services, his first and fourth quarter freestyles, Jit Juke, Gotta Get My Shit Together, like those songs, I really love them and they're fan favorites. So I hope that he puts those on there as well. So you know I have to talk about Drake debuting in the top three spots on Billboard, making him the first artist to do so because of course he's Drake, and What's Next definitely hits a little bit harder because he predicted his own success. He got on number one without a bundle, and not only did he get a number one on Billboard, but he has the top three spots without any of the cheap bundling tricks. I know Charlemagne the God is pissed somewhere because his the Drake era is over conversation can officially be halted. That narrative can stop being pushed, and maybe Drake can feel a little bit more secure enough to release Certified Lover Boy. because as much as I love Drake, I gotta keep it real with you. I'm pretty sure a lot of those conversations, not even just Charlemagne, but Funk Flex and all these other um, media types, that conversation was starting to pick up steam and I think it was getting to him. I think that's why music, unfinished music or, or scrapped music was constantly getting, you know, leaked because they were trying to figure out which direction they wanted to go in for Certified Lover Boy, especially because at this point there's probably like five or six different versions of this album that exist. Um, hopefully that gave him a little bit of confidence enough to be like, you know what, the people still want to hear from me. They're still going to stream my music. They're still going to buy my music. Let's just drop it. I hope that he drops it next month. Who knows with Drake? I'm pretty sure it won't come any later than April or May because now he's got what's next that's proving to be a monster for streaming and the charts. So we'll see. But congratulations, Drake. I knew you had it in you. I knew the Drake era wasn't over yet because Laugh Now, Cry Later still performed well. It, it didn't hit number one because you had WAP that was blocking it. And, you know, there was no stopping that song. But he still performed well during a pandemic. 
So Drake is very much still out here getting it and being successful. And no pun intended, but I can't wait to hear what's next from him. Moving on from Drake, Demi Lovato is dropping her new album, Dancing with the Devil, The Art of Starting Over, on April 2nd, after her docuseries drops on YouTube later this month. I think it's the 23rd this month. And some details surrounding her documentary have come out, you know, with her. And I, and I wish they didn't leak this because I wanted to, I planned on watching it. Um, and I kind of wanted to see for myself, but they pretty much gave a lot of the big things away, which is her admitting that she had been raped at 15 and that the drug dealer that sold her the drugs that caused her overdose sexually assaulted her that night, which nobody knew until she admitted that in her docuseries, which is awful. The fact that this guy is unidentified still, that there haven't been any arrests made is awful, but not surprising because if she overdosed, the details may not be um, as clear. Um, She may have been out of it when this happened. I don't know. All I know is that she admitted that she was sexually assaulted by this man. Um, And it just goes to show that Demi has just really lived a hard life. And the fact that she's still alive and still, you know, trying to beat these addictions is just, I think, inspiring for a lot of people. I can't relate to suffering from a drug addiction, but um, I do hope that Demi is able to stay on the right path. I know I've had my constructive criticisms about Demi on this podcast. I do love her music, of course, but what I said, what I've said still stands. I do hope that after this era, she kind of moves on from constantly bringing up her addictions and, you know, starts a new chapter of, you know, a more healthier chapter, a more brighter chapter, just moving on in general. I do think it's probably important for her to tell this story. And it's probably helping her mentally as well because, you know, sometimes you have to talk about things before you can let them go and move on and start a new chapter. But I just didn't want her addiction to be her brand. You know, being a recovering addict is obviously a part of who she is, but it doesn't have to be all that she is. Um, She did release the amount of songs that are going to be on this album. I think it's about 17 songs with maybe 20 or 21 in total with the bonus tracks. A lot of the duds she released last year, thankfully, will not be on the album. I think only two songs that she's released are on there. The song Anyone, which I don't really remember all that well. I know I've talked about it on the podcast. It may not have been a song that I liked. And then there was a newer song she released with an artist. I think his name is Sam Fisher. I thought I assumed the song was his, so I never actually listened to it, but that's on her album as well. Thank God the dreaded Commander-in-Chief song was not on there because that was horrendous. Still Have Me was a good song. I would have been okay with that being on the album. To me, the title, the fact that she has two titles, Dancing with the Devil and The Art of Starting Over, it, before she announced the amount of songs on the album, I'm like, this kind of seems like a double album. Like, one side is kind of the dark and, you know, scary side. Not scary, but you know what I mean. Like, the dark side the hard thing she's been through and then the other side is the lighter side and and starting over literally it's in the title and essentially with the um, the length of this album it, it it probably a double album it probably reads that way but i hope that when the album comes out the actual songs on the album are a lot better than the music she's been re- releasing lately i hope so apparently she's got a song with ariana grande which is not a shock I remember Ariana Grande posting that she was doing background vocals for a friend's song and Demi pretty much was teasing that she was working with um, a female artist and they're signed, they're both signed to Scooter Braun for management so it made sense. 
I'm surprised that neither of them are on Justin Bieber's album, but you know, he kind of does his own thing. The song is apparently called Melon Cake. I hope the song is good. They're both really good vocalists, so hopefully they, they give us a bop. And because I'm a fan of Demi's music, despite how I've been feeling about her music lately, I am going to give it a chance, and I will try to have an open mind. Moving on from Demi Lovato, I had to talk about this Tyler Lay and Jesse Williams drama, which seemed to come out of left field, and I was actually kind of late on it. It had happened days before it hit my timeline. But apparently Tyler, oh, let me, let me break it down. So Tyler Lay and Jesse Williams were, are, were both on Grey's Anatomy. He's still on there. Her character is gone. I won't say how her character leaves in case any of you are watching it from the beginning on Netflix. Anyway, there's a part in the show, I will give this away because who cares, where the characters were in a relationship. And during this time, Tyler Lay, according to her husband, was struggling mentally. This was before she was diagnosed with bipolar. And so she was in a really vulnerable spot. And he alleges that Jesse Williams took advantage of this and tried to hook up with her and break up their marriage. But in the process, he obviously he didn't break up their marriage. They're still married. But in the process, he broke his. Now, when it was announced that Jesse and his wife, I don't know her name, when they were getting a divorce, it was really ugly. She was asking for a lot of money. You know, he's making it seem like she was making it hard for him to be in their kids' lives and, and, and spend time with them. And I couldn't help but wonder why she was being, it, it was, it, I couldn't wonder, I couldn't help but wonder why the divorce was getting so ugly because before then their marriage was kind of private. And from what I saw, they seemed to be happy. They were together for a very long time. So I'm like, there has to be something because from the reports I was reading, she was like, making things really difficult for him. He was dating this actress, Mika Kelly. They broke up because the divorce was just getting too ugly. And I don't blame her. I'm not dating someone who's going through a divorce period, but especially a messy one, because I don't want to be dragged into anything. But now in light of this coming out, it makes sense because even if he didn't cheat on Tyler, I would not be surprised if he cheated on his wife during their marriage, especially when he became an actor because Jesse used to be a teacher. And so when he got on Grey's Anatomy, he's a he's an attractive man, and anybody with eyes can see that, and I'm pretty sure that went to his head. He had women throwing themselves at him left and right. I'm pretty sure he was cheating on her, and she probably just got to a point where she couldn't take it anymore, and divorce sometimes brings the ugliness out of people, and clearly that was the case. And I had been side-eyeing Jesse Williams for a couple of years now because he just seemed to be kind of um, smug and arrogant and holier than thou. I kind of got that vibe from him. And if this story is true, I wouldn't be surprised if it is, but if it is true, shame on him for trying to take advantage of someone who is going, who was going through something mentally and who probably could have been easily emotionally manipulative and you're married. So I'm looking at the married person crazy because you have a whole marriage that you need to be tending to and you're chasing behind somebody else, especially a married woman. Um, so none of nobody outside of the husband, and he's deleted the tweets since then. I don't know what sparked it. It seemed to come out randomly. But neither Tyler Lay or Jesse Williams have spoke about it. I don't think they plan on it. Jesse Williams has been active on social media because he posted a picture with Sarah Drew. And of course, all the fans are hyped because, you know, their characters were together, people loved their relationship, and, 
you know, the actress was let go of the show. And so now she's kind of coming back to return as a guest. So a lot of people are excited about that. And maybe that was intentional to get people to stop talking about the story. I've only seen Perez Hilton really report on it. So it's probably not a big enough story that Tyler Lay or Jesse Williams, um, care to speak about it or feel like they have to. I do hope the story isn't true though, because it doesn't make Jesse look good at all. Speaking of Grey's Anatomy though, there are rumors swirling that it could be ending soon because Ellen Pompeo is unsure if she wants to end the show this season or the next season. And the way that this season has been going about with Meredith battling COVID and not doing well, they could end it this season with Meredith's death. I think she's dying regardless. Um, I think that's where they, they plan on ending the show. Um, and it's in, Chanda Rhimes always said that it was Ellen Pompeo's decision. When Ellen Pompeo, Pompeo no longer wants to do the show, the show would end. And that makes sense. It is called Grey's Anatomy. And I think that the show has been in quite a slump for a few years. I think that after Christina left, um, that's her, the actress's, that's not the actress's name. That's her character, but I'm blinking Sandra O, oh, I think is her name. When she left and the dynamic with between Meredith and Christina were no more, the show kind of went downhill and it seemed like Sandra O oh leaving slowly triggered a lot of people leaving. Um, and after Alex left the show, and especially in the fashion that the character left, the show really has hit a new low. Now, this current season has been good, but you know how it goes. Usually finale seasons are really, really good. And I think it gave them new energy and new ideas to, oh my God, this show may be ending. Let's just go out with a bang. And it's been incredible this season. But the past couple of years have been lackluster. The the storylines just aren't as exciting anymore. So as much as I love the show, I do think it's time to wrap it up. It's been on for over a decade and... I think it's run its course. So I will definitely kind of be prepping myself myself for the end of Grey's. I know my friend, um, she doesn't want the show to end with COVID, but I don't think it would make sense for Meredith to get better from COVID and then have her die some kind of other way. I mean, technically a lot of fans, including myself, want her to go out the same way her mother did, which is with Alzheimer's. So they can still do that. If they have Meredith get better from COVID, you know, some she could then start experiencing the early on symptoms of um, Alzheimer's. They may decide to go there. But I think because Meredith is already in a critical spot, they might as well just kill her off with COVID. But we will see how things pan out. I also have to talk about the talk and the drama going on with that. So if you don't know, the talk is on an extended hiatus after more sources, including Leah Remini and Holly Robinson Pete, speak out against Sharon Osbourne. Now, if you don't know what's been going on, after Meghan Markle's bombshell, as they like to call it, her interview with Oprah, Piers Morgan got in his little white man feelings about it, like he usually does because... Megan broke his little heart when she rejected him and ghosted him. And so now he's obsessed with her and can't help himself. Every time her name gets brought up, it's like he gets excited and he just has to say something negative about her. And that was no different after this interview. Of course, he downplayed her mental health issues. He said he felt like she was lying about, you know, wanting to commit suicide, which is like the worst thing you could say to somebody. One of the worst things. And Sharon, and then he stepped, he walked off of his interview 
in anger when his co-host pressed him about it and left promptly left the show which i feel like is the start of his karma and of course sharon osborne's nasty ass defended him and then she was promptly called out on the talk and pretty much attacked her co-host cheryl underwood when she tried to call her out for supporting a racist and in clear racist white woman fashion tried to make it about her and her feelings when she was wrong so of course everybody saw it for what it was and she received quite the backlash which she deserved and then this began the slow outpour of leah remini holly robinson pete and other co-hosts past co-hosts and and probably the crew that works on the show saying their own stories about sharon osborne and her allegedly but really it's not allegedly when it's been shown on camera about her racist behavior on that set and let's be real here this is not new leah remini has spoken about her time on the talk before after watching the scientology aftermath i you know did some digging on some of you know leah remini's other projects and and that includes her book that she wrote and I think there's a section in her book where she talks about being fired from the talk because Sharon Osbourne found her to be too ghetto and also says that they found Holly Robinson Pete who is a black woman to be too ghetto and they said that Sharon Osbourne called Julie Chen Julia Chen I think is her name wantine eyes slanty something like that something extremely racist against Asians and called Leah Remini a guinea which I believe is a racial slur against Italians who knows what she called Holly Robinson Pete and called Sarah Gilbert Gilbert who's a lesbian a pussy licker and a fish eater now you have to be a really nasty and evil spirited individual to take your time to craft these racist and offensive terms for people and something my nana always said and this always stuck with me is that god don't like ugly he doesn't like it one bit and when you're as evil spirited as sharon osborne is that evilness will eventually come to light you can't have that type of behavior it's not going to stay a secret for long it may take 10 or 11 years but it eventually comes out and i'm glad her nasty ass stuck up for Piers morgan because now her nasty behavior is coming out and she's most likely the show this is gonna go one or two ways she's either gonna get fired because the cb i read that in an article that the cbs executives are pissed with sharon osborne because she threw them under the bus for that segment she said she was blindsided they didn't speak with her about the Piers morgan situation until they started airing the show or minutes before they started filming the show she really threw them under the bus then didn't warn them about an interview she was giving with Variety and they're pissed. So either she's going to get fired or this extended hiatus is going to turn into the show being canceled. Because it's not like the show hasn't had a good run. It's been on since 2011, I think. I think that's when Leah Remini and Holly Robinson Pete were still hosts because they were some of the originals. And I feel like this is only the start of all of this. I'm going to call it the reckoning because not only with Sharon and Pierce Morgan but now they're starting an investigation against Meghan Markle for 
bullying her aides, the royal aides. And it's like Gail King said, it's like Oprah said, it's like one of Meghan Markle's own friends said. Meghan has receipts because she's smart. And I think any, I think every black person in any type of environment, whether it's work or whatever, when we start to experience racism, we start documenting. We start a paper trail. We start keeping track of things. And I think early on, Megan started to do that. So now if you're starting an investigation against her, which most likely is not, the claims are most likely not true. Now she has a paper trail. She has emails. She has correspondence with other people that proves that she's innocent. And I feel like they are poking the bear because if she has to release those receipts to protect herself, who knows what that's going to reveal about the royal family or some of these aides. It may reveal something that is damaging to them. And I think that they should appreciate the grace that she had in her interview with Oprah and not naming names. But even someone with the amount of grace and kindness that Meghan Markle seems to have, everybody meets their, has, everybody gets to their limit. And I'm surprised she's not there yet. I think she kind of is there. I think the fact that she did this interview with Oprah shows she's there. But I get sick of my name being tarnished and being defamed. And eventually I would start hitting back. And I think that's what Meghan Markle needs to do. And so let them investigate the bullying claims. Because I'm pretty sure she has proof against that. And this is only going to be the start of this. Which is why I called it The Reckoning. And I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it all unfold. Because I think it's karma, especially when one of the aides that has these claims against her, I believe, is the CEO of some kind of charity of Prince Williams and Kate. So he's an associate of theirs. And apparently he's the one that sold her letter to the Daily Mail or, or whoever, I could, whatever media, UK media that released Megan's private letter to her father. He helped her craft the letter and then allegedly he gave it to them. He sold it to them. So they need to be careful. And Piers Morgan, he most likely isn't going anywhere in his field. He left his show willingly, I think. I don't I don't know if they were planning on firing him. But Piers Morgan has always been as nasty as he currently is. And he has a, a there's a, he, he's created a culture of that. And, and he has fans that, that love that shit. So he really, he's not going to get canceled because the people supporting him support that mess. But Sharon Osbourne, I won't be surprised when they announce that she's fired. Or she may not even give them the chance to fire her. She may leave. You know how that goes. I'm going to leave before they can fire me. But, you know, I think it's a great thing when these people show their true colors. Because they're definitely met with consequences. And I don't think anybody is surprised by any of the claims against Sharon Osbourne. I know I'm not. But I can't wait to watch all of that unfold with my little popcorn I really can't. Moving on, an animated reboot of Everybody Hates Chris is being shopped around, and I don't know how to feel about it. I loved Everybody Hates Chris. It was one of my favorite shows. It was a show that my nan and I used to watch together. We both loved it. I don't know how I feel about a cartoon version of it coming back. I don't think it's needed. Before the episode ends, I did want to talk about Dangerous Woman, an Ariana Grande album, by the way, if you don't know. Um, It celebrated its five-year anniversary last week. To me, it remains her best work. It is untouchable at this point. Positions in a couple of years, maybe my mind might change. Maybe Positions may surpass it, but I really don't think so. That album is incredible. 
And the fact that she was only, what, three albums in and created a masterpiece like that is just, you already knew that Ariana Grande was bound for greatness. I'll probably save my real deep dive for this album when it hits its 10-year anniversary. And I hope she does something big for that. I hope she gives us, like, she re-releases the album with songs we haven't heard. I I really hope she does that. But I did want to talk about my top five, which is Moonlight, Into You, Dangerous Woman, Leave Me Lonely, and Sometimes. I love these tracks. And even coming up with a top five, five years later is hard because this album is just incredible from top to bottom. And it's a shame that she was involved in that donut controversy because that really kind of swayed critics and 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 how they felt about this album. I think they gave it a low rating, but it really is one of her best albums. My friend Nyla and I don't agree on a lot of things musically, but we both agree that this album is her best. And so... That's gotta say something. So before the episode ends, I did want to get into the song of the week, and the song of the week is Levitating by Dua Lipa. It was only right after she had an incredible performance at the Grammys this past Sunday, and Levitating, when I listened to Future Nostalgia for the first time, I immediately took to Levitating. I was like, this needs to be the next single. It deserves the success of Don't Start Now because I feel like it's better than Don't Start Now. I wasn't crazy about... The remix with the baby, I don't think he fit the record at all. I don't think it needed a remix. I think it was strong enough of a song to be released as a single by itself, but oh well. I don't know if they're on the same label and that's what played a hand in, in him being on the remix, but the song is so good. It's Every time I hear it, it makes me want to dance. Literally, I was listening to it yesterday and my mom had came home from work and she was trying to get my attention and I wasn't facing my door and I had my headphones in, the song was playing, I was dancing. It's just a really, really good pop song. Like, it's reminiscent of the pop music from the 80s that just, I wouldn't say it's disco, but it makes you want to get on the dance floor at a club and just dance your ass off. It's so good, it's so lively. And, um... It's just a great a, one of the many examples of why Future Nostalgia is so good and why I feel like Dua Lipa has a great career ahead of her. So I'm sure you've heard the song by now. I'm sure it plays on the radio constantly. But if you avoid the radio like a plague and you haven't heard the song yet, definitely check it out and let me know what you think. I promise it's worth the listen. We have come towards the end of the episode. Thank you guys for listening to me rant and ramble for over an hour. I always appreciate it. If you want to keep up with this podcast further, then head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. There's links to all my social media, including a live feed of my Twitter. If you want to keep up with any updates with this podcast, when I'm posting a new episode and just want to see my musical opinions, which I always love to post, you want to participate in any polls I run, definitely head to my website and follow me on all social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even YouTube. Again, my website is www.listentomespeak.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to see me elevate it further, then please donate to my listeners donation. You can find it on both my website and my anchor page. I appreciate the support. And if you love this podcast, then also go ahead and give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you can rate podcasts because I'd really appreciate that as well. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.